Is everybody busy? You feel busy at all in life? Sometimes we all have seasons where we just we, we want things to slow down. I, I've been busy, I feel like, my whole life. I've just become more and more aware of that. Like when I was in high school, I thought I was really busy because I had to go to class. And after class, every day I'd go to work. And I worked, you know, 20, 25 hours. And then we'd have Wednesday night church and Sunday morning church and Sunday night church. And I had a social life. And so I was out pretty much every evening that I could with my friends. And I thought, man, I'm really busy. And then I went to college, and I had class from like 7 until noon every morning, and then I had a lot of homework. It's like they want you to read books and stuff in college. And I had a job that I had to go to every day, and again, that social life where I was out pretty much every evening that I could be, and I thought, I am so busy. I can't wait until I graduate, and then life will slow down, and things will be easier. And I did graduate, and I immediately went to seminary, and I just found out that I didn't know what busy was. Like, I had so much homework. It's like they wanted you to read all the books. And then I had a job, and it was like a real job this time. I wasn't delivering pizza, and so there was, you know, it was like 50 hours there. And I didn't have that social life, but I was married, and that takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. And, and I was just like, man, I can't wait until I graduate from seminary, and then life will slow down and things will be easier. And I did graduate, and for like 30 days, things were easier. And then we had a child, and I haven't stopped moving since. Like, you know, we got through the, the sleepless nights, and then there was that phase for two years where you have to hover over them because they're always in trouble and danger. And we got through that, and, and things started to taper off. And then for some reason, we had another one, and we started over. And that's where we are right now. And I find myself thinking sometimes, man, when the boys get a little older, I'm sure things will slow down and life will get easier. But I know that's not true because some of you parents, like I talk to you and you're busy running your kids to sports and to bands and all this stuff in two different directions four nights a week. I know what my future holds. It's not easy. And then there's retirement. You know, who doesn't want to retire because you, your kids are grown and they're gone and, and then you don't have to get up and go to work every day and it's just easier, right? Except every retired person I've spoken with says the same thing. I'm busier now than I have ever been in the workplace. I'm just doing different stuff. Sometimes we want life to slow down. We want life to be a little easier. And we think that maybe that next phase of life or that next promotion or that next move, there's got to be some silver bullet that makes life a little easier. And sometimes we even approach our faith that way. You know, if I believe in God, if I follow Jesus, then life's supposed to be easier, right? Like, my dog won't run away, my truck won't break down, my girlfriend won't leave me. Like, life's just going to be easier because I'm doing the right stuff. I mean, and it's, it's easy to understand why we would think that. Just look at some of the things that Jesus said. You know, you can tell who I love the most by who has the most money. Remember when he said that? It's like you start to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden, health and wealth and prosperity shower down upon you, and you never have to stress about paying the bills ever again, right? Can I get an amen? No. Well, maybe Jesus maybe didn't say that. But maybe he said this one. Everybody will totally like you for being my follower. And that makes sense, right? We start living a life that is contrary to the moral norms of society and contrary to the ideals and expectations of everybody. And the general public just falls in love with that, right? They're totally going to praise you and not make fun of you at all. Now, Jesus never said that either. 
In fact, when we look at the New Testament and we look at the things that Jesus actually said, we don't find anything in there about him making life easier or Jesus saying, you won't have bad days. I wish he'd said that personally, but he just doesn't. He never said that. This is week three in a series we started a while back called Things Jesus Never Said. When we start to look at the teachings of Jesus, we find a lot of challenging things in there. So challenging, in fact, that there's this temptation to just maybe massage them and soften them up a little bit, or maybe just change them all together to better accommodate how we would rather live. But he said what he said, and he meant what he meant, and our job as his people is not to put words in his mouth, but rather to do our best to follow the words that actually came out of it. And today we're tackling this idea that somewhere Jesus promised you won't have bad days. It's not in there. And to help us in, in this idea and understanding what Jesus actually did say, we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of John, chapter 16. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can crack that open to John chapter 16. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screens to the side. Or personally, I would recommend you download the FCC Monmouth app on your mobile device. It's got a lot of great tools for connecting with us, staying up to date. If you click the Sunday button on the bottom right-hand corner, there's a lot of useful things for getting the most out of Sunday morning, including a sermon notes button with all of our passage already pulled up, ready for you to utilize. So as we get into John chapter 16, here's the setting. This is the last night of Jesus' earthly life. He hasn't been arrested yet, but it's just before that. So this is one of his last conversations with his disciples. And understandably, he has a lot of last-minute things he's trying to, to pass on to them. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He tries to kind of prepare them for the events that are going to unfold over the next several hours with his arrest and his crucifixion and his resurrection. And one of the things that Jesus touches on is the presence of trouble and pain in our lives. If we look at these words, Jesus almost assures us pain is promised. It's not just possible or even probable. It's promised. You are going to experience bad days. Look at how he puts it in John chapter 16, verse 19. It says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, uh, I, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So Jesus is trying to, again, kind of unpack what's going to happen over the course of this evening. He says, you're going to have this time where you don't see me any longer, and you will grieve, meaning I'm going to be dead. That's why you won't see me. You will be filled with mourning. The rest of the world, they're going to be ecstatic because they think they did this really great thing in killing me and in serving God in that way. You are going to weep and mourn and grieve. In fact, those words in verse 20 are really what I want to zero in on. He's talking to his disciples, and it's not like you might possibly mourn or grieve. He says, you will weep, you will mourn, you will grieve. There is definite pain waiting for you in your immediate future. And he just reaffirms this a little bit later in verse 33, which we're going to get to later on today. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. This doesn't sound anything like the promise of an easier life. It doesn't sound anything like, don't worry, you won't have bad days. Pain is promised. 
I don't know where this idea came from that Jesus somehow promises his people an easier life. I understand why we wish it were true, and I understand why we want that, but where it actually comes from, I'm not sure. All I know is that it does show up very commonly in our expectations, in our thinking, and in our theology even sometimes. And we express it in different ways. Uh, I used to work with a guy at a pizza place um, who really was in a bad patch of life. Like his wife just left him, and he was broke, and his truck just broke down, which for a pizza guy is the worst thing in the world because that's your livelihood. And, and he would come into work every morning with a fresh new problem, and he would say, why is God doing this to me? And maybe you've heard somebody in your life ask that or a similar question. Or maybe you yourself have been in those moments, and, and you've said, God, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? And that question really reveals two really important things. The first, it, it reveals kind of a misunderstanding of where trouble and pain come from in our lives. That question kind of paints God as this guy who's, who's sitting up in the clouds with the problem pistol, just like taking aim. Boom! Got him. I'm going to really give it to that guy. Boom! Oh, yeah, she needs some hardship in her life. And that's just not the picture of God that we find in Scripture. He's not picking on people and choosing to fill our lives in pain. Actually, problems oftentimes are the result of our own choices or the choices of others that just spill over into our lives, not God being malicious. So that's part of the problem. But really that question, you know, God, why is this happening to me? It reveals a, a certain presumption that for some reason I should be exempt from the hardships or the troubles of life. That for some reason, maybe it's because I believe in God, maybe it's because I follow Jesus, maybe it's because I try to live this holy life, but there's, there's something that, that I should really, I shouldn't have to go through this. Now, Tom, who lives down the street, totally, I get it, God, totally understand why things are going wrong in his life. Or Jane, who lives around the corner, I could even understand that. But me, God, why is this happening to me? But why not you? Why not me? Why, why, why not any of us? God never promised an easy life. Jesus never said, you won't have bad days. Being frustrated at the hardships of life is being ang like being angry at the, the mailman because your Amazon package is three days late. He doesn't have anything to do with that. That's misdirected frustration. The reality is Jesus never promised this. I wish he had, but he didn't. So welcome to church. Glad you're here. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus after such an uplifting and encouraging message, you just come on down to the front. Maintain six feet. We're washing away sins, not symptoms, but you come on down, right? Now, this isn't what we want. We don't want to hear this kind of message. We want something encouraging. We want something uplifting. We want something that's going to help us in that promised pain. And I've got some good news for you. Because Jesus does provide that. He never promised that we wouldn't have bad days. In fact, he promised we would have pain. But he also promises that pain is just the precursor. Pain is just the lead up to something richer, something more fulfilling, a, a greater joy. And he phrases it like this. He helps us understand when we look at verse 21. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Childbirth is one of the roughest things. I remember sleeping on that hospital guest bed and trying to choke down that cafeteria food. It was really, really rough, guys. 
My wife was there too. No, childbirth is terrible. It is one of the most, I'm told, one of the most excruciating things that the human body can go through. And my wife was told the same thing multiple times by nearly every woman she came into contact with in the weeks leading up to the due date. And you would think that ladies would have a little more mercy on a first-time mom. But no, it was just story after story of sheer agony. And the worst part was, they were all true. They weren't exaggerated at all. I have never seen my wife so exhausted or heard her scream so loud, and I have never seen so much blind rage fill her eyes as when the nurse told her to hush. <sighs> my wife is scary. But then our son came, and none of that mattered anymore. They put that baby on her chest and in her arms, and the pain was there, but it was very quickly overshadowed by something even more visceral and even more amazing. Joy. And Jesus says to his disciples, and by extension us, in verse 22, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Right now, he says to them, this is your, your time of childbearing. You're in, you're in the birth pains. This is the time of pain. This is the time of, of hardship. But the child's coming. The joy is just on the horizon. And in his disciples' circumstances, he's talking about three days, or on the third day from this point, when he is raised back to life. He says, you will see me again, and no one will take away your joy. And his words to them really highlight that while pain is a promised part of this life, pain is also limited in some ways. There is a line in which it can progress no further. There's an end point. And we need to hear that because in our lives, we hurt. Our lives are rough at times. We have bad days and we experience very real pain of different varieties and types. But we need to remind ourselves that just as in the case of the disciples, our pain has a limit. There is an end point where it ceases. It's not going to go on and on and on forever. Our heartbreak, though it hurts, those hearts will mend. Our bodies, though we may be sick or we may be injured and it hurts, they will heal. We will recover. That conflict that we experience in our lives, it will reside. Now, I already know some of you are saying, but what about, and we're going to get there. But for right now, just, just stay with me here. These pains that we experience immediately in life, there is an end point. And keeping our eyes on that end point can sometimes give us the, the boost or the encouragement we need to remain steadfast. Since we're already talking about childbirth, I'll, I'll tell you the story of our second son. Not our second son, that'd be weird. But, but my second son, Benjamin. The pregnancy with, with Levi, our oldest, pretty typical, went pretty smooth. Not so with Ben. It was rough. It was rough from the beginning. My wife was sick pretty much every day for the entire nine months. She was nauseous. She had hip pains. Nerves were pinched. It was, it was bad. It was a rough pregnancy. And we would go to the, we had reached that point where you started going to the doctor every week instead of spacing it out. And every time we saw a nurse, they were amazed that my wife was even walking around because everything was ready to go. I'm not going to go any more detail than that, but let's just say Things were prepped and primed, and everybody was just waiting. But Ben was not ready. He just wanted to hang out in his womb for about two more weeks. 
And every day my wife would wake up and she would start to cry because she said, another day. And she would say, get this baby out of me. And she would say, he's never going to come out. And she would say, you did this to me. You know, all those loving things. And it was just, ah, it was just this, this pain that just persisted on and on. But what got her through was that realization, though it feels like an eternity, it's not. This will not go on forever. There is an end point. There is a finish line. One way or another, that baby is coming out in two weeks, right? It got her through because it's not like he's going to be 22 still living in the, whim, the womb. There is an end point to every pain. And in our pains, in our heartbreaks, in our, our physical aches and pains, in our stresses, in our trials, there is an end point. It's not going to go on forever. Keeping our eyes on that can give us that boost we need to weather that storm. Now, as I already mentioned, there's already things racing in our minds. But what about this? What about those pains that really do persist? on and on. Those things that seem to dog us our entire life up to the very last breath. What about those? Even that pain and that trouble has an end point. There is a limit, and that pain can persist no further. Jesus mentions this to his disciples. He would die. He would lose his, his last breath. He would be buried in a tomb. But he says to them, you will see me again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. There is this joy that is available on the other side of even the most unfair kinds of pain. And it's not found by, by trying to grab all the right ingredients here and now. Sometimes we think that the key to real, lasting joy, joy that's bigger than, than even lifelong pain, is... Maybe if I have enough money, or if I have the right stuff, or I have the right job, or I live in the right house, or drive the right car. Maybe if I have the right surgery, or I'm on the right medication, or I go see the right therapist. Or, you know, there's all these different things that we bring into our lives trying to discover a joy that is bigger than lifelong pain. And none of those things, by the way, are wrong or bad. Some of them can be very valuable tools that can add some richness to our life, but none of them by themselves or even in combination can grant this level of joy, the kind that Jesus talks about. Rather, it's kind of like barbecue sauce. It's weird, I know, go with me. So the first time I made barbecue sauce, I had no idea what I was doing. Never done it before, but I had this recipe. And so I followed it to the letter. I got all of the ingredients I was supposed to get. I even bought the brands that they recommended. I never do that. But I got it all. I measured it out in precision. Like everything was perfect. And it was a complex recipe. Like we had to reduce two liters of root beer down to like a cup. So that took forever. And at a certain temperature, you mix in the sugar. And I don't remember. It was complex. And we finally got it all put together exactly the way the book told us to with all the right ingredients. And it tasted bad. Not like really, really awful. Just like there's, there's no way that this is supposed to be the right flavor. There's something not right here. And then there was this footnote at the bottom of the page. Add melted butter to taste. And I thought, that's weird. Because I've got root beer and Worcestershire sauce and mustard and sugar and all this other junk. Butter just doesn't seem like it's going to pair with any of this. But we did it because you can't make it worse. Oh my gosh, guys. It was like barbecue heaven. This sauce was so good. It was an entirely different flavor. 
Because this secret ingredient just brought it all together in a whole new way. And in a lot of ways, our lives are like that sauce. We grab all these ingredients that we think are going to add up to this amazing joy, and then it just doesn't taste the way we thought it would. This can't be what life is supposed to be. This can't be the joy that other people experience. And it's because we're missing the secret ingredient. Jesus. He really is that, that element that just brings life together in a new way. And we experience life in a totally different, unique kind of flavor. He even tells us as much in verse 33. Let's look at that passage, John 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, and that is such a crucial phrase. There is so much theological richness in those little words. We don't have time for all of it this morning, but we will touch on it. So that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, there really is peace. Peace and joy that are bigger than even lifelong pain, but it's not found in all the different ingredients that our world would recommend. It all comes together in Him, in Christ. And what that means is being in union with Him, being in fellowship with Him, being in obedience to Him, being in a relationship with Him. When my life is melded together with Jesus in this world, that's when this joy and this peace become available to me. And it's not because of something he spares us from. It's not because he keeps us from bad days or problems. Rather, we have that joy because of what he put on himself and what he endured. At the end of this verse, when he says, I have overcome the world, I, we can't underestimate what he's saying here. He's essentially saying this world and all the things in it that cause us those pains, those troubles, those hardships, I've overcome all of that. I have overcome anxiety and depression and isolation. I have overcome betrayal. I have overcome injustice and injury. I have overcome even sin and death. I have overcome all of this. And all of those things were part of Jesus' experience leading up to his death. The story progresses from John 16. We read about how he is betrayed. We read about how he is alone. We read about the injustices. We read about the abuse. We even read about his death. The pains of this world dogged him up to the very limit of his life. And then on the third day, he began to breathe again. And in the power of God, he was raised back to life, not as some spirit or some ghost, not as some angel in white pajamas with a harp, but as a real person raised to life in power with a life that would no longer be touched or subject to pain. It had reached the limit. And now joy was what overshadowed that experience. And here's the great news of Jesus. The promise is that in him, when our lives are in union with him, when we are melded to him in this life, we experience that victory as well. There is a real expectation and a real hope for a joy that overshadows even the intensity of lifelong pain, just like childbirth. It's 
agony up to the moment when the joy arrives and then everything in the past, it no longer seems to matter as much because of the gift that is ours in this moment. Even lifelong pain that dogs us to our dying breath has a limit. And on the other side of that is what Jesus calls the joy that no one, no thing, no problem, no heartache, no trouble can ever take away. And just as he says in this passage, there is peace to be found in that. And not a kind of peace that we wait on, like when I get to heaven, I'll be done with this. Okay, I guess I'll just endure 90 years of suffering and then I'll finally have peace. He says, so that you may have peace. That's a present tense verb. That means that right now in this life today, we can experience this peace. Now, I'm not a therapist or a psychologist. I can't explain to you psychologically where all this peace comes from. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, he calls it the peace of God that transcends understanding. I don't know how it works. All I know is that when I find myself in Christ and in the promise of God and the visual victory of God and his resurrection are deep in my being, I have peace. I go through bad days. I go through hardships, I go through suffering, I go through loss, I go through injury, I go through betrayal, I go through anxiety, I suffer mental illness, I go through all of these things, and yet there is a real peace because I know that this pain, however intense it may be in this life, is limited. And many times we experience that limit in this lifetime, and we start to experience joy on the other side, but even those pains that dog us, there is a limit and there is joy that no one can take away found in the promise of Jesus. The best part is, God has already proven he's capable of bestowing that joy and that victory upon us. Jesus was raised back to life. Like, that was a real thing. And if you have and share that faith like we do in this Christian message, you have every reason to be confident that Jesus overcame the world and you will too. There's peace to be had. And some of us need to hear that today. Because some of us are in the middle of those promised pains right now. Some of us are experiencing pain in, in a physical, literal way. Our bodies hurt, they ache. Some of us got a call from the doctor this week and it wasn't good news. Some of us had a conversation with our, our family, with our parents, with our kids, and it didn't go well. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are, are isolated. Some of us are depressed. Some of us are battling mental illness. Some of us... Some of us are going through this life and, and we're going through this thing called COVID and our marriage is finally starting to feel the stress of economic and social pressures and, and we're worried about the future and we're worried about our nation and we're worried about our family and all these things just pound down upon us and there is a lot of pain. But I want you to hear this, whether you're experiencing now or, or you will someday in the future. The good news of Jesus is that you are going to be okay. You really are. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, a month from now, even a year from now. But every pain has a limit. No exception. You are going to be okay if you are in him. Jesus never promised you wouldn't have bad days. What he promised was something even better. You will overcome this world and all of its bad days in me. So what do we do? What do we do with this? 
Some of us, we hear this, this message about Jesus and resurrection and hope, and we might think, I, I want to know this guy more. I want to I know him in that way. And, and for you, your next step is to choose to follow Jesus. It's really simple. We simply say, I trust what you've done, and I, and I want to follow you with my life. Maybe for you, that's your next step. For some of us, we, we've chosen to follow Jesus, but you hear me talk about peace and joy beyond understanding that nobody can take away, and, and you're saying, I don't experience any of that. How do I find that? Well, that comes through growing in Him. Maybe that means experiencing Him in His Word and in Scripture and learning about who Jesus is and what He's like and what He promises. Maybe that comes through a dedicated prayer life where we connect with our Father and this, this loving God in this very personal and intimate way, developing and building those habits are part of how we grow in Christ and come to understand and, and see these hopes in our life. Everybody has a step, whether it's a step to, to get in, to grow up, give back, or to go out. We all have a next step closer to Jesus. There's no wrong step. The only wrong step is the one you never take. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And I hope it's a good day, but I know for some of us it's a bad day. I know that we've had bad days this past week. There are bad days waiting in the week to come. Some of us are stuck in a life that feels like one big bad day. But Lord, we know that in you, there's hope. And there's peace. And dare we even dream, there's joy. You have overcome this world all of its hurts and its pains and its problems. And in you, we have the promise that we will overcome too. And so I pray, Father, for each of us that we would draw close to Jesus, that we would cling to the words he actually said, because it is a greater promise than just the absence of hardship, is the promise of life and victory. We trust you with these hopes and these prayers, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.